On fossil downs and cane grass station in a million homes across the nation, they're tuning in Australia. Hello, Macca. Jonathan Dixon here, Macca. Oh, good day, Jonathan. How are you? Yeah, good. Look, I just thought seeing the tennis is over. Every year I have Novak rent opposite me. And I, I was just fascinated because I've been watching the Netflix series on all these tennis players, which is a fantastic series. And I was just thinking about the pressure that these guys must be under. It's, he has about five blokes with him. It's all like military precision every morning, every night. I, I don't say anything to him, and, but last night I was out and he was leaving. He said, look, I'm sorry I didn't um, do too well. I said, well, don't worry about that. I'm sleeping all right. And uh, I just thought, you know, here they go, you know, around the world and the pressure that these guys must be under. But very nice guy. I just thought, well, I'd let you know that he loves coming to Melbourne. You, you sit there and you think, now there's five guys in that box that absolutely depend on him to bring the bacon home. Time was we didn't like Novak and maybe now we do. We probably like him even better because he got beaten. If you know what I mean, well, if, that's if, the strange if thing. The, if you look at that Netflix series, you realise just how combative it is. You know, how they've got to look at all these angles to try and put their part, you know, the people off that they're playing. It's like any sport, it's pretty commercial. Pretty gruesome. But gruesome, that's the word. On a Sunday morning. Ooh, it's cold this morning for Nancy's chooks. They're walking dogs, they're writing books as Trevor stacks his bottles by the roadside. On you, Trev. In Turak, T.I., Tumbarumba, at the Lodge and Yarralumla. They might be listening to Macca on a Sunday morning. They might be, you never know. My week starts with Macca on a Sunday morning. Good morning. Welcome to the program. 1300 700 222. That's the number. Macatracks at gmail.com. Love to talk to you wherever you are. I'm sure you've got stories about all the things you've been doing last week and what you might be doing in the future. I was down in the harbour the other day and saw all these, all these boats. They're huge, aren't they? They must hold five or 6,000 people. Anyway, that's another story. I was going to mention that, look, I live in a suburb or I still sort of live in a suburb where I grew up. So I've been associated with the suburb for a long time, which is really nice. It's sort of nice to go back. I know a lot of suburbs change and you know, a lot of high-rise, but not so much where I live. But anyway, that's probably sometime in the future. And I usually drive around the streets now and again and just look at old places and think, oh, that's where Ian used to live and that's where so-and-so used to live and whatever. Still keep in touch with some of the kids from school. This is primary school I'm talking about. And the other day I was driving down a the street. There's a little house there. And there's a lady who lives there who is the mother of one of the kids who went to school with us. And it's not sort of, it's mostly the doors closed. And this time I saw that the door was open and there was a lady sitting out the front and there was another younger lady there. And I, so I drove around again and came and stopped the car and walked over because I thought I knew them. And I did. And the girl who, well, she wasn't in my class. She was in my sister's class, Carol, Carol Goodacre. And her mother's there. And her mother is 106 and she still lives at home. She's a little possum. And she's a bit hard of hearing, but she lives at home and sort of can look after herself. And I just thought that is so wonderful. It was just so we had a good yak and we'll catch up again from time to time. But you never know when you're 106, do you? It was just lovely to see her. So we had to speak loudly and say hello and all that sort of stuff. But just so lovely that she's still in her home and she can sort of look after herself. Her daughter, it's Carol, drops in her meals every day or every second day and, and she can use the, the microwave sort of so she heats up a little, you know, meal, which I do all the time, heats up a meal and Bob's your uncle. Don't you think that's a lovely story? I do. I think that's fantastic. Letters, tweets and faxes. Exactly. We get sacks, 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 sacks.
This is a letter. It says, Dear Macca, uh, the 2024 Australia Day Awards honours were announced uh, last week with 1,042 Australians being awarded various orders and honours. It made me look into the award system and I see you, Ian, were awarded honours on the 26th of January 1994 for your radio show, Australia All Over. It's been 30 years since that date and you're still at it. Well done. Thank you, Andrew Cohen, who sent this letter. I received a meritorious award with three of my work colleagues last week, the Australia Police Medal, APM. It felt lovely to be acknowledged in this way for simply doing something I love. I probably can speak on every award recipient's behalf by saying thank you to the people of Australia who take the time and the trouble to nominate Australians for honours and awards, says Andrew Cohen, winner of the APM. And I was looking, he sent me some attached material. And the people who got that award were Commander John Limbruggen in WA and Inspector Robin Green and Detective Sergeant Andrew Cohen, who wrote me the letter. And Andrew, it's like you thanking the people for nominating people, and I thank you for writing that letter. Thank you very much. An email from David G. Whilst riding along the cycleway at Sandon Point, Bulleye, I noticed two blokes with a Victor lawnmower mowing a pitch on the headland in preparation for the afternoon's match on Australia Day. You beaut. Good on you, Dave. Thank you. From Colin White, it was a very abrupt and unexpected ending to our program. At 9.30, Caloundra time, we were taken to the cricket. Surely the cricket can be covered by one of those app things and our program left alone. Talking of cricket, wasn't it great to see the Windies win a very exciting game, says Colin. They haven't had much luck lately and obviously they love playing the game. There were some celebrations here on Australia Day. The beaches were full and I saw one game of cricket being played in the park. Not a lot of talent on display and a couple of the players were lucky a tennis ball was being used, I'll tell you. I also heard a spirited version of Waltzing Matilda. Last Tuesday, and Colin's writing from Caloundra, we had just over 280 mils of rain in a relatively short time. I thought I was back in Innisfail. Colin used to be a pharmacist in Innisfail. I thought I was back in Innisfail. It equaled anything we got up there. Today is fine and sunny, but the Weather Bureau is warning that a new low-pressure system is forming and that could go on to cause more problems. Life never gets dull or mundane these days, says Colin. Just heard the item... Of, thank you, Colin. Just heard the item, says Colin Fisher, about Kenny Rosewall. You may be interested to know that Frank Sedgman is still with us at the age of 96. And from Margaret Kirkwood, great listening every Sunday, Macca. Everyone happy and busy and interesting. Ain't that the truth? Good morning, Mac. Hi. How you going? Did you enjoy your harness racing last night? Oh, the AG Hunter Cup. Yeah, and the elite, um, the elite lot. That was very nice. Yes. What was the name of the winner? Uh, Leap to Fame won the... Um, Leap to Fame, yeah. Won the Hunter Cup, the Queenslander. Goes yeah. all right, doesn't he? Yeah, he carries all before him. Yeah, him and Grant Dixon's very nice. Yeah, I'll say. Are you a, a trotting person, Ian? Mad on it. Love it. A bit like you. I listened to you when you talked to uh, Matty Craven a couple of months ago when he rang up. Yeah, yeah I love from, it. From time to time. Well, usually uh, the harness racing people, like most racing people, up early in the morning training their horses. I remember we were in Melbourne at the showground one morning doing our program and there was a bloke driving his trotter around the... Showground, that, was, uh, that must be 25 years ago in the 90s, uh, mid-90s, I think. But, uh, yeah, they're up early, so they you know, sometimes ring us. So there you go. Yeah, nothing like it. Get up early, do your horse. The horse is your best mate. Always really glad to see you. Have you got a horse? Yeah, we got, uh, we're off to a, um, we've got show ponies at the moment. We're off to a show this morning. 
about Hannah. The wife shows uh, miniature ponies. There you go. All right. Well, that'll be a good day. Yes. A bit hot. Might be a bit warm, but yeah, it might be a bit warm, but we'll find a tree and we'll enjoy ourselves. Good on you, Ian. Great to talk to you. No worries. See you. See you, mate. Bye. Yeah, g'day. It's um, Trent from Thornland. Just ringing up. First time call a long-term listener. What are you doing, Trent? Today I am out riding a motorbike delivering pamphlets for the upcoming council elections in the lovely Redland City, um, which is on the bay side of Brisbane. In Brisbane. There you go. You're delivering pamphlets, mate. I'm doing my own. I'm a one-man band. I'm what you call 100% independent, so that involves... Um, <laughs> Getting out and doing it myself. No, no big campaign funds, or just just me and myself. <laughs> well, more more power to you, Trent. What what made you want to do that? Um, I'm in a I'm in a bit of a controversial area where we've had a uh, a recent mayor who had a little drink driving incident um, after work, and yes, so it sort of made the headlines for all the wrong reasons. And I'm just a normal dad and. Just wanted to make a change. Um, what do you sort of get? What do you do for a living? Um, at the moment, I don't do anything. I just coach kids' football teams. I see. Um, so just on the ground, trying to make a difference where I can, and the and the best way to make change is to be a part of a system where you can make the change. So I suppose so. All right. Well, good luck, mate. Take care on the roads. And thank you very much. I enjoy um, listening to you every morning. It certainly keeps me going. Thanks very much, Trent. Good on you, mate. Have a good day. See you, bye. Bye. Hello, Maggot. It's Lofty here speaking. How are you going? G'day. Lofty, is it? Yeah, mate, yeah. Just carting um, horses from, uh, actually, from Scone. Oh, Pitchwood right. Hills, start. And oh. actually taking them down to their, uh, taking them down to their uh, sales at uh, Warwick Farm there. Early this morning, all the horses are travelling well, so nice and cool for them. Get going early. We've got three truckloads, probably, I think, 20-something horses, all yearlings, all babies, so ready for the big sale next week. Is that next week, is it? That's not a... When's the Easter sale? They used to have the Easter sales, didn't they? That still goes on, doesn't it, I suppose? Yeah, yeah, that's the sale, yeah, later in the year, but uh, this is the premier sale. I think they call it the premier sales, yeah. So, but, uh, yeah, just when you're saying about the bypass and everything, I live at Marundi, and uh, Marundi's it's grown as a town with uh, all those little shops and uh, cafes and yeah. and uh, getting getting a good feed there for the truckies. Always seems a lot of truck drivers there. So yeah, you're right right about them uh, little towns that are uh, thriving through these uh, highways. Yeah. Well, some of them thrive, I suppose, and some of them don't. Some of them languish, I, I suspect, once the the traffic goes through. I mean, I don't know how Holbrook's doing, for instance, down there. Um, close to the border but um it got bypassed and so only a little town so i'm not sure and sometimes you hear uh, people bemoan the fact that there's uh, no good uh, you know the truck stops aren't as good or the some of the meals at truck stops aren't well i suppose there's not as many truck stops is there no no they're not they're all the big commercials uh fuel stations now they're they're cashing in on it now yeah. they're all pretty big yeah all like the coast like we went to the Magic Millions all, all, the, all the way up to the Gold Coast. We go up the, uh, the Pacific Highway, you know. So, yeah. So, But these horses, they're all travelling well today, so nice and cool. So hopefully we have a good run into Sydney. And you busy, Lofty, are you? 
Oh, yeah, this time of the year, very busy, very busy. We just come out of the breeding season, so uh, running mares and uh, round to the stangins. So uh, we'll get a quiet period after the Easter. It'll slow down for us. So. Yeah, all right. Okay, and how long have you been driving, Lofty? Oh, been all my life been tied up with horses. I'm I'm actually a trotting man. I I got harness racing horses, uh-huh. and I and I drive this truck for uh, for thoroughbreds. So got got my fingers in both codes. So yeah, but uh, no, it's all good, mate. All good, beautiful. See a lot of country. See a lot of lot of areas around New South Wales, Queensland, Victoria. So. Well, keep up the good work and keep in touch, Lofty. Good on you, mate. Righto, champ. Thanks very much. See you later. See you, mate. Bye. Kieran Kelly is on the line. He's in. Where are you, Kieran? Good morning. Uh, I'm in Park City in Utah, uh, up there near the Rockies. Uh huh. And uh, what do you what do you see? Is it cold over there? Um, have they had much of a winter over there? Uh, they did around Christmas time, but it's uh, it's eased off now, and uh, it's been actually unseasonally warm. So they're praying for more snowfall because uh, uh, this is the business end of the season for a lot of the, the you know the small mum and pop operators here, and people trying to make a living. So they need some more snow. Yeah, Kieran, I was thinking of you. That's why I contacted you because. Um all the talk again is interest rates, the RBA, whether the interest rates will go up or down. I mean, it becomes a. I mean, I suppose it was always thus, but it never seems. It seems to have more, um, you know, impact these days. But I think that's because of the news cycle. They've got little to talk about, so it becomes a a huge thing. A, a twenty point twenty five basis points rise is is huge news. Um, I don't know, but anyway. Well, I think I think why it's why it's particularly bad now is because so many households in Australia are under pressure. And uh, uh, we had a period of cyclical, very low interest rates, uh, 1%, 2%. So uh, people got excessively geared. And interest rates only need to go at 1% if you're heavily geared at 2%. And they've gone up 50% if you, if you like. So it's a little bit different than it used to be when interest rates were 6 or 7% and they went up 1%. I think, unfortunately, a lot of young people in particular uh, uh, got overgeared, and then we've had this period of sustained inflation in things like uh, food prices and rents in particular in Australia, uh, which have just uh, added to the burden. So any rise in interest rates just adds to the weight that people have to carry. And I think this came out during the debate post the uh, tax changes about um, whether the tax changes were a good or bad thing. Yeah, now people are saying um, it won't move and others are saying, well, what they should do, in fact, is drop it by, you know, 25 basis points or even 50 basis points. But will they, what do you reckon is going to happen? Well, unfortunately, the day I arrived over here, uh, uh, US employment statistics showed that the job market over here was very, very strong, very strong. And uh, that would indicate that the Federal Reserve is unlikely to have many more interest rate cuts. So uh, I doubt if we will here in Australia. But I want to just tell you a little story. If you can spare me five minutes, I just want to tell you a story about one of the angles. When I come over here, I get frightened. I get frightened about Australia. 
And you might wonder, well, why do you get frightened about Australia when, you, when you're in the United States? So anyway, I arrived here and I had to fly virtually straight away to Detroit uh, to do an interview. And Detroit is one of these cities that's been really hollowed out, a lot of poverty, burnt out buildings. Um, it used to be a major centre of manufacturing for Ford, General Motors, etc., etc. I probably don't need to tell everyone that. It's now a very sad place. Anyway, I had to go out to dinner and cut a long story short. I'm coming home. I left the dinner. I can't remember what time, but it was late. And I just happened to walk down the end of the driveway. I was going to get an Uber and a bus came past. And I recognised that on the the sign on the bus, it was going to go right past my hotel downtown. So I jumped on the bus and it was empty, except me and the bus driver. So I said, g'day. And, and we got chatting and he said, where are you from? And uh, old black gentleman. And uh, I said, I'm from Australia. And the first words out of his mouth, the first words out of his mouth is, what do they think of Donald Trump in your country? And I said to him, well, I don't know what everyone else thinks, but I think he's mad as a hatter. I don't think he's got any economic policies. And um, I don't think he likes women. That's in a nutshell, mate, but I don't know what my countrymen uh, feel. And he said, well, well, I'm going to vote for him. He said, my pappy always voted Democrat as my grandpappy uh, voted Democrat, but we're going to vote for Donald Trump, me and my wife. And I said, I... Why would you do that? What's he going to do for you? He's a multimillionaire that lives in Florida. And he said, well, I'll tell you, I drive this bus at night and I'm also a janitor. A janitor is a person, and he works in schools cleaning. His wife works in a dry cleaning situation and also does clothing alterations. So that's four jobs. And he can't make ends meet. And he said... You know, we used to vote Democrat and the Democrats used to look after people like us and they don't anymore. He said, nobody looks after us anymore. And so I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. And I thought to myself, well, I'm not sure if he's going to, he's not going to look after you either. I didn't say that. Anyway, we got chatting through the night and we got down to where my hotel is. And I thought, no, I'm really enjoying chatting. This fellow. People were getting on and off the bus. And as you can imagine, in Detroit, some of them were in terribly dilapidated condition. But I stayed and I was chatting to the driver. I decided we'd do the loop again. So it took about an hour and we went right through around Detroit and got back. And I really enjoyed talking to him. But the thing that came out of him was anger and insecurity. And he feels insecure because nobody is on his side. So anyway, I get up to leave the bus and I stick out my hand and I said it was really nice to talk to you and I and he and he was absolutely shocked he said people like you don't normally get on this bus and none of them would ever talk to me or shake my hand and he then said I don't know anything about your country but Australia must be a really nice place and so I got off the bus and we waved each other goodbye the point of that story is one of the things that's happening here in America is the rich are getting very very rich and the poor are getting very very poor and so there's a whole load of people in the middle that are angry. This is, God bless me, this is the angriest country on earth. And I think when I studied the tax cuts, one of the things that struck me is it didn't really help the people who need a tax cut because the, the people down the bottom of the scale, so earning 40000 who must be really, really earning, I think they got about 600 bucks. That's going to go nowhere. That's going to go absolutely nowhere. And at the same time, you can open the paper and read that somebody has bought a $100 million house in Vaucluse. And 
Well, this old bus driver talked about the impact on him and his wife and they read about all those um, Wall Street people in, uh, in the GFC getting bailed out by the federal government for hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars it was. And he said, well, why can't the government bail people like us out? We can't pay our rent. And he said, do you know the reason why not? It's very hard to explain to a bloke driving a bus at one o'clock in the morning. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. You do. I do. And I don't ever want to see Australians get to that sort of situation because I don't think those tax cuts address the most pressing problem in Australia, which is a cost of living problem and uh, a situation where people start to opt out and just say, look, this system isn't working for me. And that's what the old bus driver told me. He said, in the old days, he said, when my pappy was working hard and he worked in the General Motors plant, as, as did his grandfather, this bloke, and this old uh, African-American man. And he said, those plants don't even exist anymore. And he said, the unions looked after us and the government looked after us and uh, Lyndon Johnson and Jack Kennedy, they all cared about us. No one cares about us now. So we had to vote for Donald Trump. And I knew that's not the answer, but I wasn't going to tell him that. Mm. And I would just think, I don't want Australia to go there. <laughs> well... Yeah, and 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 it probably won't. I mean, but but you never know, do you? You never you 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 never know. Look at when COVID happened. We never never that was not on our radar at all. We never knew about. Most people didn't know anything about pandemics, and all of a sudden we've got a pandemic, and wars can happen just like that. And... Yeah, anything can happen. But look, let, let, let me. Tell you, if I'd have been out in the Albanese, I would have done something a bit different. What that tax passage was was gutless. It was gutless. So. Uh, we really need to revamp the whole tax structure because progressive tax isn't really working so that people at the really, really, really top end can can uh, organise their affairs to to not pay much tax at all. That's what doesn't get addressed in the papers. So it was me, I would have said, OK, I'm going to reduce the total tax from income tax, I'm going to raise the GST, then I'm going to put a tax on what I call vanity property. If you look at Sydney and Melbourne, the, the, the really wealthy waste a lot of money spending 50, 60, 70 million dollars on property. Put a tax on that. So a $20 million house costs you 1% a year, $50 million house costs you 2% a year. That sort of thing will at least make people think that everyone's making a contribution. So you then form a special purpose fund like the Future Fund and you put all the money you raise from taxing vanity property into providing rental assistance, uh, building low-income housing and mm. homeless shelters, something like that. I think it needs thinking the way John Howard used to, or Paul Keating used to, really brave stuff. You know, you need a bloke with a big hairy chest like Paul Keating or even John <laughs> Howard. John Howard won an election pushing a GST. Mm. That requires a lot of guts. But people trusted him and he can do it. And I had a after I came back from Detroit, I landed here in Park City, and it's the in 24 hours I went from a place where you've got bus drivers can't earn a living to a gated community here where the minimum price of the property is 20 million dollars. The houses are empty most of the year. They have to heat them for about six months of the year to stop the pipes exploding, and the driveways they keep the driveways heated. Doesn't no snow gets on. A society can't. You know, I'm a capitalist down at my bootstraps, and I'm, but I'm also a Democrat. And th these two sisters of prosperity have to get along. Yeah. And they just don't 
and that's that's worldwide too. I think the the haves and the have-nots. There's a lot of people who are migrating right across Europe and into America, and you know, want to go everywhere where things seem to be better because there's a lot of poor people in the world. And I don't know how you address that because more I like the, I don't know what the figure is. Maybe a million people a day are being born. Certainly a lot of people and a lot into poverty, and and so there's a lot of problems to fix, isn't there, Kieran? Uh, look, there are, there are. But we've got a wonderful country. We really do. And you've got to come to the United States, I suppose, and see a country that was founded on the principle of equality. Not equality of, of end result, but equality of opportunity. And I think Australia is exactly the same. We were founded on the basis that everyone should have an equal shot. Now, you can't say everyone's going to end up in the same place, but you can't have a situation where people are buying $100 million houses when other people can't pay the rent and the food bills. And that creates anger. It creates yeah. uh, 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 social corrosion and so on. My mate, who uh, he's American, he lived in Australia for about 25 years. I rang him up and had a big whinge about it when I, when I came back from Detroit. And we've always argued about whether you could get a Donald Trump figure like that in Australia. I've always said, no, we've got too much equality. We'd never, ever uh, embrace someone like that. And he said, yes, you would. It would just be someone that, that would uh, Australians would identify. And, he, and I said, like who? And he said he'd be a cross between, between Bob Hawke, John Singleton, and, and uh, with a bit of Greg Norman mixed in. He'd be someone that <laughs> Australians thought would... would that's what he said. This is an American son. And he said uh, it would be someone with a bit of Australian charm that people thought wasn't a politician. So uh, that's my take on things oh, over here. Wow. Wow. And, you know, coming from uh, a situation, because I left just after the tax changes came. Yeah. Will we get a will we so, get a, a rate rise? No, we won't get a rate rise. Will we get a fall? We'll get nothing. I don't think you get a fall because they haven't got inflation under uh, under control yet. But I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be backing a rise. I would think it's probably going to stay about the same, mm. probably at the moment. Good on you, Kieran. Moment, I would think so. Good on you, I'm mate. Sorry, that's not more cheerful. No, I'm that's so, right. sorry, I'm not more cheerful then. No, we. <laughs> We need, we need. It's nice to get a, a view uh, from America. Um, uh, but uh, good on you, mate. Keep in touch, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll talk again soon. I was in my office, minding my own business, looking out the window, staring into space, thinking about I don't know what. And these two blokes went past me, <laughs> and they were washing the windows. And and I thought, well, I've got to talk to him. What's your name? Arden, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. Arden, is it? Yeah, that's where, it. Where, where's that from? Uh, background Armenian. Oh, well, I was born here. I'm Australian, yeah. but my parents, yeah, they came from, yeah, background was Armenian. Have they told you why they came to Australia? I think job opportunities and better play. Oh, no, it's the best, best country in the world, isn't it? Well, you'd, uh, we yeah. think so. Yeah. I know, I'm not so. sure if everybody thinks so, but yeah. we think so. Well, they can go back home, can't they? <laughs> <laughs> and how long have you been cleaning windows? 15 years, mate. 15 years. Long time. Well, I was just thinking when I was coming to talk to you, I met you up the, on the top floor because you hang your stuff from the top floor, right? And you go yeah, down? Yeah, we go down there, correct. And I was just thinking the last 20 years in Australia and Melbourne and Sydney, it's all high rise. And it's all full of windows. And, I mean, I don't know what the deal is with your job, but there must be so much work because there's no. so many, so much glass. Yeah, well, the work is growing. There's a lot more work. I, like I said, I started 15 years ago. There wasn't that much, but now it's... Yeah, there's a lot more companies out there doing it. Mm. All rape access and BMU work, so 
Yes. Yeah, and you can't be just say, oh, yeah, I can clean them, because I clean the windows at home sometimes. Yeah. But no, you need some skills, don't you? Yeah. And not yeah. afraid of heights. Yeah. How and high do you of, go? And a set of, you know what, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> Look, the highest I've been is about 120 metres, and that was off ropes. Mm. This is nice and easy. Mm. And, and you're only seven floors. Only so seven floors, yeah. Yeah, nice and easy, yeah. <laughs> but there are so many high-rise now. I mean, uh, uh, and not just... Apartments, biz- a lot yeah, of apartments. apartments, yeah. A lot of apartments. Look, the way they're being built right now... And, some of the maintenance work you have to do on it, there's a lot more work out there, yeah. And how often do these windows need to be cleaned? Some of them do it quarterly, some of them do it yearly. It all depends on their budgets, really. Do you like the job? You enjoy it? Yeah. Yes and no, I'm over it, mate. <laughs> Money's good. <laughs> but what do you, I bet you see some things too, do you, going all of a sudden? Uh, uh, yeah, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I should say anything. No, right no now. more. Don't say any more. <laughs> Your squeegees or whatever you use with the rubber, are they electrified or something? No, or? no, no, just all manual. But they've got a, they've got a line feeding... Ah, um, oh, yeah. that's a lanyard, what we had attached to us. Yeah. So in case we drop it, it doesn't drop and fall on someone's head and kill them. <laughs> or Every, everything has to be tied off. Oh, yes, exactly. Yeah, everything's got to be tied that's off. That's the world we live in, eh? Yeah, exactly right. We've got someone up on the roof as well, mm. just in case the machine breaks down. Well, Art, and it's nice to meet nice you, mate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice any, you. Um, you see anything uh, and your journey's up and down these high rises, just give us a ring and no worries, let us mate. know. We'll do, mate. Have a good one. <laughs> yeah, good on you. Nice Thanks, to meet mate. you. Thanks, you mate. This is the All Over News. This is the All Over News, and from Dick Smith, he says, I was interested in you talking to that engineer about fusion. That was Raymond McLaren last week, and I've got some more from Raymond in a minute, but about something else. But for some reason, says Dick, he didn't mention the incredible safety of nuclear power. Well, he wasn't really talking about the safety of nuclear power, but he was talking about power. Anyway, Dick continues, in France, where they've been working on fusion for over 60 years, they've also had nuclear power for over 60 years with complete safety. The country is now 70% run on nuclear, and I'm told it has some of the cheapest power in Europe. Germany closed down its nuclear power stations and now uses nuclear power from France when the wind doesn't blow. In the United Arab Emirates, they built a nuclear power station taking six years from start to when the first reactor was generating power. That shows it's possible, says Dick Smith. And from, we'll call him Mick, he says, Ian, let me tell you about wind farms. I live in Hallett, South Australia, 40 minutes north of the Clare Valley, and we're surrounded by them. I can see 35 towers from my front door if I care to look at them. They do look nice at sunset, slowly turning against a red sky, but that's all that can be said for them. Wind farms now extend from south of Burra to north of Port Augusta, and there is no end in sight. They are placed on barren hilltops around Hallett and elsewhere that were once covered in vegetation, but the first thing farmers did here in the 1800s was to cut them all down to clear paddocks and for firewood. What was left, the Borough Copper Mine soon made short work of. So it's bare hills or wind farms, and when the man from the wind farm comes knocking and says he'll pay you 30000 per tower as a once-off payment and twenty to 30000 a year for each tower for 35 years, it's a clear-cut case, and the dollars offered keep going up. The councils want the money, so they can just knock back the farms from, say, 40 to 36 towers, and everyone's happy. There's another wind farm going in at White Yarkawi, 15 kilometres up the road. 
There is only one farmer in South Australia who just happens to be from Hallett who's objected to wind farms, and he won. But then AGL appealed and then dropped their appeal on the steps of the court to leave him with the legal fees. That's the other side of things here, Macca. Wind farms don't provide cheap electricity, and the ones here are Chinese-owned and supply New South Wales, not Hallett. If there's no demand in New South Wales, they don't turn. And if there is demand in New South Wales and there's no wind, then they just crank up an enormous fossil-fuelled aircraft engine in a shed that drives a turbine to supply New South Wales with power. The $4 billion US dollar project near Burra is French-owned, and they won't be waiting 100 or 50 years to get their return on investment. It will be some of the most expensive electricity in the world, according to the workers on site. The fact is, these wind farms are already old technology, and for every 100 units in, on a good day, only 40 come out the other end. And in the future, they will be left to rot, like some ancient Southern Cross windmill, but shedding fibreglass and composite and resin, not rust, says Mick. Last week, I introduced you to Raymond McLaren, who's an engineer. He has a manufacturing firm in Moonbi, just outside Tamworth. Like many people, he's got lots of other interests apart from engineering and manufacturing. And one of his interests is native plants, in particular one called Crinum pedunculatum. I won't explain any more, but he'll explain all about Crinum pedunculatum and his theory about this particular plant and drought in Australia. He's also got a yard full of conveyor belts in his place, things you usually associate with coal mining, iron ore mining, even sugarcane. You see conveyor belts with sugarcane on them. He'll explain all that to you, but firstly, Crinum pedunculatum. Crinum pedunculatum is the swamp lily, and it's probably my favourite plant, and you've got some growing too. Mm. But I've been involved with natural history and ponder over these things during my life and about climate that's happening, and an indication of what can be coming out can be seen in the crinum. The crinum can almost tell me what can happen in the world in, mm. in the way of drought. So let's, let's get started so that Crinum is swamp lily. It's native to Australian coastal areas like Myall Lakes, all up the east coast of Australia, around Brisbane. It's quite common in low-lying areas and swamps. It's called a swamp lily. That swamp lily has evolved over the last millions and millions of years to be a swamp plant. But the funny thing is, we bring it to Tamworth, and we plant it out in the garden here. Never, never water it. It'll, get, it'll go right through these droughts and still survive. So how come that plant has got this capacity? How come this swamp lily can come to Tamworth, survive a two-year drought and still be there? Well, there's only one explanation for that. Is it has evolved the genetic makeup to be able to do this. Now, how does it, a plant living in a swamp evolve that makeup? Because the swamps were subject to, to droughts, unimaginable droughts, thousands of times. Droughts that could be something like five years long. You know, unimaginable drought, that plant has evolved its capacity to survive a drought. And to do that, it has to survive through unimaginable numbers of unbelievable droughts. We haven't seen that drought yet in Australia. What you're saying is that this plant's been around a long time. Then it can reach back to say, well, we used to live through drought times and we know how to survive that. Yeah, that, that's what it amounts to. That's what it amounts to that, Ian, that this plant has had the opportunity over millions and millions of years to survive these extremely long droughts and that goes into its genetic material, genetic makeup. Now, it's the only way it can actually have this ability. Other plants just die when you get a drought. This thing, this thing is this ability. It's, it's a swamp plant after all. And here, you bring it to Tamworth and it, it's, it lives through droughts quite happily. The bigger picture is that that's telling me 
We haven't seen a drought yet in Australia. A fair income drought, you we mean? We haven't seen a fair income drought, no. That's uh, happy news. <laughs> <laughs> sort of ties in with the research done with James Cook University in Townsville. They did some research on they went a paleoclimatology, old climate. And one of the things they did, they went, they went off the Burdekin River out near the Barrier Reef, found a very big brain coral, and they took a core out of this brain coral because they, they know that the brain coral takes in sediments and things year by year by year, takes in sediments. So the core they have is two metres long. They're about 2,000 years of core from this brain coral. And what they found, what I read was that they found that the Burdekin River, going back 2,000 years, that the last 200 years has been a very wet period. And that sort of ties in with, you know, what other things. Are. So the last 200 years, the white bullets have been here in Australia, has been a damp time. So what you're saying is that you ain't seen nothing yet? Yeah. I, well, that, that's what they're telling me. I mean, I may be all wrong, but I suspect... That and that's one of the reasons why I advocate the use of putting in desalination plants. I mean, I know that desalination plants are very expensive, of course, and, but they have a few running. But I, I think that Tamworth and Company places need to have access to desalinated seawater for when this happens, because otherwise we won't have any water. So well, the other thing to do, again being cynical, is maybe try and limit our population, uh, Raymond, and then <laughs> we won't have the big problems. But that's, uh, that's an engineering problem that we can't fix, isn't it? That, that's right. Well, I can't fix that one, and I don't know how we could do that. But, but engineers can see, OK, we need a big desalination plant, we'll need a nuclear reactor to get enough heat to do this, but you can get, you can get reliable water. Yes, very expensive, but we may have to do it. Your little place here is called Andromeda. Why did you call it Andromeda? Well, I've always been interested in astronomy and way, way back, and I was trading a sling makers Tamworth for a long time, and it, it limited the sort of products like sling makers, and the slings are used everywhere. We still make them, but so I wanted a more comprehensive name, and, and they, those days there were things called phone books, and in the phone books... <laughs> direct, I miss phone books, sorry to interrupt. Directories. And so if you had a company starting with A, it helped. So, so A starts with A, and it had a, a nice ring about it, and nine letters. So that's because of the astronomical interest, and that, that's the reason why I chose Andromeda. I noticed, or did I notice, you've got even more conveyor belts in your yard than you ever had before? Yeah, we've got a lot of belt in the yard at the moment. We've been buying belt up from the, as the mines have been changing, closing down ships over the last two years. So we've got hundreds of tonnes of belt in the yard. Orienting the company towards going big in the way of used, reused and used conveyor belt. Conveyor belt's wonderful stuff. To most of it, it's a black, dirty old thing. Heavy too. But when you start to look at what you can make out of this stuff, it's quite remarkable. What do you make out of conveyor belts? Right, Carol, yeah, thanks for asking that. See, when the conveyor belt comes in, it's in rolls you know, between 5 and 15 or 20 tonnes apiece, and it can be, say, 1.5 up to 2 metres wide, and it can be up to uh, 15 or even 20 millimetres thick. So it's very heavy stuff to handle. So in its original state, it's not much use, it's too heavy. The, the, most, the one we do most is we split it in a split belt. That is, we roll it down on the ground, we cut it in the ends, fit in special little tools... Uh, tool which you designed. Which we designed and built here, of course, <laughs> yes. And we, we hook a big, heavy four-wheel drive tractor on and we, and we rip them apart, and we just rip it apart. So it'll start out at, say, 20 millimetres thick, and we'll have two pieces at 10. Bring back again, and we'll have four pieces at 5. So we'll get to 5 millimetre thick 
And that 5 millimeter thick rubber with canvas in it is very valuable and very useful stuff. And the reason that reason that split belt is so good is because it's made to an industrial standard for conveyor belts for mining. And so it's a very expensive stuff when it's first made. It's made to an industrial standard. And when they finish with it, we get it. And then, and then for the next job, which is mostly agriculture and horse yard, it's really good stuff. It's top stuff. Mm. And where, where are they made originally? Uh, they used to be made in Australia most of the time, but now they're, they're made in, in China, some made in Germany and Africa. Still some made in Australia, but most of it comes out of China now, I think. Ladies and gentlemen, each year about this time when we come back to work, um, we've been back three weeks now. I don't know if I can keep going. Um, and uh, we award somebody who's, um, when I say award, this <laughs> very little cash. Um, might be $5 you can get a coffee for them. But um, <laughs> maybe, a, yeah, a little badge or something that we could sew on to. But um, we award somebody who uh, contributes to our program and thereby contributes to, I think, to Australia and to you. And they, they're very interesting. And this year... Um, I'm very pleased to announce that our Australian of the Year, or Australian all over the year, or as I used to call them, extra milers. People go that extra bit to do an extra. A bloke wrote to me once and he sent me a bit of rock and he said, Macca, you're an extra miler, and he had a little plaque on it. It's a great little thing. But that's basically the the impetus to what we do here on Sunday morning. So I'm very pleased to announce and introduce to you again Somebody you know very well, Lynn Silva is our Australian all over for this year. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning, everyone. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. Now, look at this. You see this? Oh, my goodness. Have a look at that. That was a, a little, um, which has to be engraved yet, but you can have a look. Goodness me. I'll put a picture of it. It's lovely, isn't it? Um, How amazing. Um, one of our engineering uh, people, Terry Tisdale, uh, heard us one morning when we were presenting an award some years ago to whoever um and he he made that little what do you call it it's not a plinth is it what is it it's like oh, a little well it looks like a shell casing from some huge gun that's what it actually yeah, looks yeah, like but it's and it's got a lovely uh that's done with laser it's got mm. australia all over australian of the year and um it's a lovely little thing the, ma- the map of australia and he didn't leave off tasmania yeah he didn't leave off tasmania <laughs> So uh, that's yours, uh, Lynn, uh, for all your contributions. Um, you. For all sorts of things, but mainly about um, the Second World War. You've written books about all sorts of stuff and gold and um, Australian history in lots of ways, um, whether it's military or otherwise. Um, so um, how did you all start all that, Lynn? What were, uh, we were you destined to be an accountant or something else? No, or? I was a school teacher and I was at home with children and my mother wanted the... Um, a family tree done for the bicentenary. That's how long ago it was. 88. 88. And uh, so uh, I started off with that and was sifting through some old um, death notices and whatnot my grandmother had kept and came across the name William and and, uh, Thomas Tipple Smith, which is an amazing name. Started to research them and found that the William was um, a gold expert and also a metallurgist and that he had um, actually discovered the gold before Hargraves and then been diddled out of it by the government. So that resulted in my first book, um, which was called A Fool's Gold. And I got back to about 1835 then, and my mother said, you haven't gotten back to the beginning yet. <laughs> so I was expecting to find a few convicts and was ast- astounded to find that um, I don't have any in my family uh, because two friends came out in 1798 
especially applied to come to Australia as skilled craftsmen, and uh, they arrived with their families, and the child of one married the child of the other. And from then, on, from then on, um, yes, I was a bit disappointed I didn't find a convict. But, <laughs> and it's very unusual. But from then on, so our family's been here almost as long as the First Fleet. Now, when you said Tipple, William Tipple Smith, mm. and, and it's interesting, you know, names, you say, you know, Mr Greenkeeper and stuff because they were Greenkeeper. Or, was he Tipple, having a Tipple? Is, was <laughs> the, is that how that person got the name? Do no, you, no, it was you... a, it's a name that's a, to a region in England. Mm. But um, but what's it, where's it come from? How, how do oh, you call them? Because uh, surnames they all they all have yeah, a iron iron and stuff. It's, it's interesting, a, isn't it? It's very localised, yeah. and it just passed through the family. Uh, Jane Tipple married someone else, and the name was carried over. Because Smith's a very common name, yeah. and the Tipple was very useful. But after decades, this New South Wales government um, actually put a grave over this poor man who'd started off the iron and steel industry mm-hmm. down at Mittagong of all places. Now. When you think about Mittagong, you don't think about iron ore, do you? Well, I don't. And uh, there was an iron ore deposit there, and they built a blast furnace in the middle of the bush mm. and uh, produced our first iron and steel in the late, late uh, about 1849. And uh, consequently, um, he died, and he didn't have a marked grave because he'd used all his money exploring. And the New South Wales government put a brand-new grave in for him at Rookwood. I found the grave, mm. and a headstone saying that he was indeed the first discoverer of Australia's first payable goldfield and that he had um, was a pioneer of the Australian iron and steel industry. So you've written a lot. How many books have you written? Oh, about 18. I think I've lost track of them. <laughs> and you're still writing? You're still... Yeah, yeah. In... Yes, I've got one now with a publisher and I'm halfway through the next one. And I've got one more in me and then I think I should retire. Yeah, well, this year, because you're the, our Australian all over of the year, um, it's not a great... Workload, but you'll yeah, you need to be in touch and realise that you've got a great responsibility. So, so you mean I go around a, a posh car and visit people? No, do no, I? no, no posh car, <laughs> no posh car. Um, if you come in here some from time to time, you get a free cup of coffee, but that's about it, as far as it goes. <laughs> and all the names I haven't, I've got to find, will be engraved on the. So, right. so, so do you get to keep this for a year, or do I have to leave it with you? Yeah, you have to leave it with us, oh, right. um, because we've got to get it engraved. Okay. Uh, but as I said, we've been doing this for about twenty years now, and I suppose because you know, there's a. What did I say? There was a thousand, over a thousand awardees last last time, and it's probably more. But there's so many people in Australia. And it's just that our little program is a dog and pony show, and but it goes all over, and the people who we recognise, and we could recognise them, but it's just a, a symbol to make people think that and realise that there's lots of people putting in who un, go unrecognised and just keep doing it because because they like it, because it's interesting, because they feel like uh, it needs to be told, the story needs to be told, or somebody needs to be helped, or whatever. So. Um, You've got a long list of um, antecedents there and uh, people who have done mighty things and just helped us here. Because we need – our program really relies on contributions from the listeners. We don't uh, sit and read the paper and say, oh, there's an interesting story, or sit in front of a desk. We get out and go to places and, and meet people and, and they write to us and they email us and they ring and, like you, you tell us stories. and So that's that's the reason. So – once I'll I'll get that engraved. I keep promising to do that, but we we haven't found an engraver, but we'll find one and um, get uh, all the names put on there. It's a lovely little thing, isn't it? That's it's spectacular. Stainless, stainless. It's a stainless, stainless steel about 
five inches. Don't know what that is in old money uh, in diameter, and the it's engraved with the Australian map of Australia. It says Australian all over, Australian of the year, Macca. Yeah, there you go, and it looks beautiful. It's stainless steel, and Terry just did it off his own bat, which was really nice. So, um, so you're writing a, you've got a book now, and the publishers mm. have you? Yes, that's that's come out this later this year. Oh wow! And the one good thing about coming on this program is, you know, that I'm very involved in Sandakan and prisoners of war mm. every time I come on I get a stack of messages from people wanting to know about what happened to great grandpa because they don't know mm. you know the thing that is fascinating to me is that 80 years after the end of the second world war 80 years 80 well, years yeah, yeah. people are still trying to find out what happened and absolutely having no luck, luck at all because mm. the stuff's all buried away and files all down in Melbourne and Canberra and Sydney and you know and, and I've got them all at home so it's always very good for me to go home after I've spoken to you and talk, get some interesting um, emails and messages from people. So the work still goes on, even though we're nearly 100 years, in 20 years' time. What do you think will happen to Anzac Day? I mean, I know there's been a great... I'm, I remember a time in the 50s where it was just, you know, it was limped along and then it built up to 2018, the end of the war and things like that, and 100 years of Anzac Day in 2015. And... Uh, we're a different place now. We've got a lot of immigrant people from all over the world who don't have that background of that. But uh, I mean, I know there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of there's a wellspring of interest from from people who go back, as you say, the people you who you talk to. What do you think is that future? Well, I don't know about the marches, but um, I, as you know, I take a group of Anzac, Anzac Day relatives across to Borneo each year. Mm. This year was booked out. I only take about 16. Uh, this year it was booked out ages ago and 2025 is fully booked out. Mm -hmm. So we still have people who want to go on these pilgrimages to these places and find out what happened. So from that point of view, I think the families are all doing their family research, which is so much easier now you have the internet. You no longer have to go to a centre and look through microfiche and right away to England and all the rest of it to get information. It's all there mm. with that, that um, internet use so they're finding out more and they're becoming interested in it so i think on that level but i don't know about marching yeah uh, well it depends about wars too if mm. we go to war again and, and oh, i mean heaven. we've got iraq and uh, you know afghanistan mm. and uh, that sort of thing but um and who knows what's going to happen around the world so i suppose you never know do you in this world it's uh that's what I suppose it's always been the same, but um, we're much more aware of it now because because of the internet and all the things we see around the world. Well, you wouldn't think that 25 years after the Great War, we started another one. Yeah. You can't believe that people were alive that went through the Great War with all that anguish and loss of life, that the world could be such a place that we'd actually engaged in a second massive war so close to the first one. It's, it's almost incomprehensible. Mm. And uh, when you think about it, there was Hitler and he attacked Poland and everything like that. And, and I suppose Churchill could have said, oh, OK, because there was a lot of um, people in the, in the British government, wasn't there, that said, oh, look, we need to accommodate Mr Hitler. and uh, Appeasement, yes. Yeah, so, so what do you do? I mean, I, I think about that decision he had to make because um, he was the Prime Minister, whether you say, oh, look, uh, sorry, Mr Hitler, what can we do for you or whatever, or go to war. Um, so what do you do? What do you do? Well, if you, might, if you put an ultimatum out there and the other side doesn't come across, you don't have much option, do you? No, I suppose not. Yeah. All right. Well, that's, uh, thanks for coming in. And, Thank um, you. Thanks for talking to us. And 
I'll get that engraved and send you a photo. You can you can you can probably borrow it for a couple of weeks if you wanted to and sit it on your mantelpiece okay. or something because okay. it's a lovely little piece of thing. Again, we didn't ask Terry to do that. He just uh, it just turned up one day in the in the post. Which in the is, post, yeah, weighs a ton. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it turned up in the post, and that's the story. Oh, Andy, uh, Andy Ralph, where are you, Andy? Hey, Major, I'm on the Queensland NT border, Manners Creek Cattle Station. Uh-huh. Started work here as the boar runner a few weeks ago. Right. It's been uh, like Alice Springs, 40 degrees plus every day, apart from overnight, where we've got uh, ex-cyclone, uh, tropical cyclone Curly, just north of us on uh, around Urundanji, our neighbouring property, Headingley Station, they've had a heap of rain. 81 mil here, but she was blowing in absolute sideways at midnight last night. I'm not mm-hmm. sure how much she got in the rain gauge. Could be well over 100, but yeah, big rain here. The Bureau from Queensland just put out, uh, well, they put out severe weather warnings all night, actually, but uh, looks like it'll be uh, heading uh, south, southeast and probably into New South Wales by uh, by sunset tonight. It's been wet, wild and willy at Manus Creek Station on the uh, Plenty Highway. Well, tell people what a boar runner does, mate. Well, we've got 40. So the property's about, uh, I think it's close to 10,000 uh, square kilometres. It's uh, pretty big. It's uh, half the size of Kakadu, where I've been living for the last 30, uh, 35 years. Got about 48 boars in the property, 15,000 head of uh, Brahman Charlie Cross cattle. Going to be watered uh, every day. There's over 100 troughs. My job is to drive around, do probably three, 400 kilometres a day on the run, and uh, make sure all the troughs are clean and full of fresh, clean water. Now... With this uh, ex-tropical low hanging around, mate, heaps of rain, that boar truck of mine will be parked up in the shed, I think, for a few days. I'll be going near, nowhere near the boars uh, this week, Maga. The, the the roads will be completely flooded and wet. Yeah. And lots of surface water for cattle. They won't leave the troughs, mate. They'll be they'll be drinking anywhere they want to go. Yeah, and plenty of feed, I suppose, too. Oh, yeah. Greened up very well. I've only been here three weeks. It's even got a lot greener in the last uh, couple or so. Intermittent showers on and off the last week or two as that uh, low's been heading towards us. Cloncurry got a few, uh, you know, heap of rain, Mount Isa, Camelwell last night as well. But uh, the, as I said, the low's over Urundanji. It's a neighbouring property, 50 k's up the road. We're actually on the NT side of the Queensland border. And our property covers a few hundred kilometres of the Plenty Highway, north and south. So um, pretty quiet at the moment. Not many uh, tourists here at the, coming up this, uh, this time of year, but I expect by... May, June, July, all those grey nomads will start hitting the uh, the roads. We'll see lots of caravans coming up on the Plenty Highway. It's a big dirt dirt road mm. connecting uh, Alice Springs to Mount Isa. Andy, is um, Kakadu had a big wet? Is it the wet season up north? I mean, I know there's been rain, but there's wets and there's wets. What's it? What's this one like? Yeah, finally kicked in uh, as I left. Uh, the monsoon kicked in a few weeks ago, so the road was cut a few times between Jabaroo and uh, and Darwin uh, around the Bark Hut and Crobbery Park. But, uh, yeah, it's backed off the last few days. Um, so it's uh, East Alligator River, which is normally running five, six metres uh, deep, has been only a metre or two. Uh, Magilla Creek finally went over two metres uh, last week. So a lot of rain has kicked in. And it's better late than never. But uh, forget those barramundi and little crocodiles moving. You need that's, rain in January. So a, they just snuck it in. End of January, they got it. I was going to ask you about the crocodiles. So Manus Creek is, is what, in Queensland or the Territory? It's uh, entirely uh, within the um, uh, NT, uh, uh, on the NT border side. Uh, our homestead, we can see the, the boundary fence as we drive out the, our, our homestead. So it's uh, 
It's uh, say ten thousand uh, acres, uh, uh, sorry, uh, square kilometres, and it's uh, entirely within the NT. But uh, I, uh, we all run on Queensland time. Our uh, nearest neighbours, uh, uh, we speak to all uh, all our suppliers in Mount Isa. Mount Isa is only two hundred fifty k's up the road, whereas Alice Springs is five hundred k's. Yeah. Uh, back on the highway. So we're on Queensland time, but in the NT. So I suppose it's pretty hard to get around the the territory and North Queensland at the moment because of all the rain and the roads and things like oh, that. Oh yeah, look, uh, I think our managers might be stuck near Julia Creek. Uh, I think the road's been cut over there for a, for a few days. So we're only there's only four of us here at the moment. Uh, we knocked off a killer uh, last week. Uh, the girls been knocking up the best uh, uh, Charlay Brahmin cross sausages you've ever had in your life. Uh, for breakfast, dinner, and tea, it's fantastic down here, mate. Um, I haven't had any crocodile, and, and there's not a lot of chicken down here. We've got a few chooks for eggs, but we dare not knock them off, mate, uh, for a roast chook on a Sunday. No, because uh, when the monarchy gets back, mate, she'll have our guts for garters. I can tell you. <laughs> Good on you, Andy. Great to talk, mate. Thanks, Maka. See you, bye. Maka, how are you? It's Keith. Keith. Steel. King Gabby, beekeeper. Oh, g'day. Yeah, g'day, Keith. How are you? Good, good. I just thought I'd bring you up to date on the Varroa in Sydney. And that's what I was saying to Kel. It's all over the place in Sydney now, and people are getting it left, right, and centre. So it's here. It's the last man standing sort of thing. And uh, How are they going to uh, stop it getting into Victoria and South Australia and Queensland and things like that? It, it won't matter. It'll just spread, spread like COVID. Yeah. Uh, and if my, my bees have got it now and uh, they go out and mix with other bees, they give it to other bees, give it to other bees. And within uh, a, a matter of weeks, each and every hive has got it. And no one knows, these amateur people don't know they've got it. They're not doing their alcohol watches uh, to see if they've got it. Uh, they can get uh, Baverol strips and sticky boards to put in their hives, all sorts of things. But a lot of them, it's uh, it, it's very difficult to convince people to spend money to keep their bees. So the bottom line is, within the next two years, it'll be all over Australia. And 40 to 60% of beekeepers, commercial, and the, all the fellas in, in Sydney will all be gone because uh, it's just a thing that, that bites you out. It, I always liken it to COVID. You know, when COVID came, we were... We were packing them in semi-trailers uh, to take away the dead people, you know, in, in American places like that. Well, out here, it is now in uh, New South Wales. I believe it's on the border of Victoria. It's uh, possibly in Queensland. And uh, uh, it will it, spread everywhere. There's, there's no way you can stop it. No way. And what but, will that do to the output of honey, uh, Keith? Well, well, the output of honey, uh, it, 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 uh, it would be in the millions and millions of dollars. Uh, uh, it, uh, w- when you medicate your bees with the strips, the Baverol strips, there's an insecticide on it, so you can't pull any honey off it and you can't touch any honey while they're in there. And uh, you normally do it in the off-season, say in autumn and spring so that there's no honey to take off as a crop that no one knows that and uh they're putting baverol strips in and don't read the, the literature on that and guess what 
it's just like all the vegetables you get in the shops. You know, they're all, they're all got pesticide all over them. We don't even know we're eating it. But uh-huh. it, it, it's going to be horrendous. And it, as I said, uh, six, 40 to 60 percent of beekeepers, commercial or 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 beginners, they'll all, or they'll, they'll all, all all be wiped out, and uh, uh, only the uh, strong will survive. This and- will take over two years, but it's coming. And this is all over the world, isn't it, Keith? It's everywhere in the world except here. And the only other place I know that it's not in is New Eye, where that yeah. lady rang up. Yeah, the lady, I was just thinking. She said, yeah, the yeah. little island of New Eye in, uh, in the South Pacific. And, uh, yeah. and uh, that's the only place that's not there. And, and, and when I left your place, I hunted it down, and it's a little island, six by four, either kilometres or miles, and it, it's self-governed. There's about six so hundred people live on there, and it's a protectorate uh, from New Zealand. But I, I actually was talking to a, a council worker the other day, and he's from New I and a young bloke. They they look like Maoris and all the rest of them, but uh, they've probably all got their Polynesian background and that. But what a lovely lot of people! And yeah. anyway, getting back to what we were saying, um, that's about it. And uh, there's. Oh, I don't know. I really think it's trying to put brains in a statue sometimes for a lot of these people. I really, really do. But uh, you can't. No. And so, see, it's only, only the ones that, look, I've been in it since I was a kid, 16, and I'm now 79. And, you know, I know they're going backwards and everything like that. But in Sydney alone, I, I would say there'd be a handful of real beekeepers. I really, really mean that. And if they want to berate me for that, well, good luck. But uh, there's not too many of us around here. And even uh, a bit of sad news, my mate, Greg Mulder, who, who's a, a, a queen bee distributor, he's, he's got two more years to retire. Then he's going to get out. He said he's not going to medicate his bees. Uh, he'll keep me going with the queens, which I'm getting four off him in about three weeks to uh, change these other ones. And I used to give all my queens to help out, you know, to other people and distribute them. But now I, I've got to kill them because I'm just uh, sending Varroa from my place to another little beekeeper who knows uh, four-fifths of nothing about how to look after them and, and see how it spreads. And your bees can fly, fly up to five kilometres together, nectar and, uh, and pollen. And what about all the others that they meet on the way on flowers and everything? And since this thing's been, I've tracked down a lot of people and there's at least 20 people within three or four kilometres from me in my suburb of Team Gabby. So take that over the whole of the suburb. My God, there'd be thousands upon thousands of them who are mm. just spreading it all everywhere. And no one really knows uh, what to do. Uh, it's, I think the government need to uh, pull up their socks and get the DPI to do a bit more about it. But uh, they've dropped the... the the ball, and uh, they used to have people out in the uh, field, and now all the contracts for them are, are finished by the 15th of February. They've paid them all off, and one of my mates, he's gone down to pull honey off the, off the leatherwood in Tasmania. He, he was one of the experts, but uh, so there's no there's no chicken. They say catch and kill your own now, and and that's what it is. Well, and, uh, not in it's not in Tassie. It's not in Tassie, and. Uh, That'll be the last place it'll get because you know, it's a long way away. But you've only got to get one beekeeper to take some bees over there, queen bees. Around. That's how it started in the first place. Someone, uh, they say, they imported on the quiet, 
Queen Bees in, in, in the port of Newcastle. Oh. And they, they were sent out all over the bloody place and, mm. and oh. all up the, the central north coast, right up to right up to the border, really. There, oh, there's yeah. uh, incursions. And, and as I say, you know, remember the time when a couple of thousand people jumped off the, the boat at, at, at Circular Quay <laughs> and they said, no, 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 no. And they said, no, they're all right. Let them go. And, uh, they and the rest is the rest is history. Yeah, the rest is bloody history. <laughs> Even in China, like a, a, eight eight to ten million people went around the world from China when it was full blown for Chinese New Year all over the place, and the Chinese didn't stop them. No. But when we tried to stop them, they, they took our lobsters, our, yeah. our bloody everything else off us. But anyway. Yeah. All right, Keith. Good on you, mate. Thanks for thanks yeah. for the update. It's pretty depressing news, but anyway, yeah. that's what. When happens. it gets down deep and dirty, I'll have to get down there and have a yarn to you. All right. One day, to all right. Okay, mate. All the best. Thanks, Keith. Mega. Yeah. It's it's Ray Scarlett here in Oatlands in Tasmania. I just thought I'd ring in with a bit of a weather report. Mm-hmm. And as a Queenslander, it's freezing. <laughs> It's, my wife and I have been travelling around uh, Tassie with our caravan for the last nine weeks. Um, we get the ferry back on Friday, and we've had just such a fantastic time. Yeah. Um, I thought I'd just ring and, and tell the rest of Australia, look, you hear a lot of people who do the, the wallaby thing. Um, look, just take your time. We've been here nine weeks, and we could spend another nine here. It's just so amazing. Um, that we don't, I don't, sometimes I don't think we really stop and think about what we what we have in Australia, do we? No, well, it makes you realise when you look around the world or you hear you know, people give you a report from America and America's a great place. I love America. I love Americans. But, um, yeah, they've got problems. But, yeah, people keep saying that, but I, I'm not sure because we complain about everything here in Australia when we should realise when you look around the world what a mess the place is in. We're, as, as we're surrounded by basket cases in the in the Pacific um, that don't have any money yeah. or in debt. I mean, we're all in debt too here, but, you know, there's there's debt and there's debt. But um, you're, you're right, and people say it all the time, but um, when you hear the complaints about this and this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong, um, you know, I just uh, I scratch my head. Well, I, I used to be... Well, Probably still am, I suppose, to some extent. But I used to be a, an avid listener to the ABSC seven o'clock TV news and then seven thirty report and all that sort of stuff. And since we've been down here, a lot of the time you can't get anything. So it's just great to be away um, and and um, you know, catch up on living and and uh, you know just enjoying yourself. I think one of so, the problems is is the media. Is it's too much media, too much news. News becomes the only the only reason people watch the television now because they complain about free to wear television, there's nothing to watch. But they watch the yeah. news and we get the yeah. same old stories, same old division all the time and then you go to the internet it's even worse. I'm not blaming the media, but it's just the way we are and uh there's millions of things in the world too. You know, I love music. I really love music oh, yeah. and playing yeah. my guitar and and uh, maybe trying to write a song here and there, and I see other play- people play and and going and playing for people, and and I love the garden, and there's a million things, and I love little native oh, animals, yeah. and so there's a million things to do, right? There's a million things. Oh, it's, it, you're absolutely right. And listen, you just you just reminded me too. Uh, I first started listening to you as a result of my youngest brother Les, and I think he was he was a chief cook 
at Rorosha up at the, uh, a resort um, on the mainland in the week Sundays. Mm-hmm. And I went up to visit him, and he took me for a sail on his boat. And we, we, Saturday, we stayed overnight. We woke up Sunday morning, and the radio was blaring. And I said, what the hell is this? He said, oh, it's a boat called Macca. Mm-hmm. And that that was in about now. When did you start? Because that would have been about ninety five, oh, ninety six. No, I started in nineteen twenty three. Uh, eighty, no, eighty, eighty five. I was. <laughs> We're getting back a bit. So it might, yeah. the longer we talk, it about, it might get back to twenty three. <laughs> no, no, no. It was, no, it was about eighty. Yeah, about eighty. Yeah, eighty five. I think yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. then I, I met you once. Um, you were with you, Lund, at the uh, Tawong Shopping Centre having a coffee, and I, had, oh, right. I, I, I used to coach triathletes, and we stopped in and the same coffee shop to have a to have a coffee yeah. and uh, one one of my triathletes said oh do you know who that is and I said oh, no I no that's idea you said, that's Macca <laughs> yeah and you learn yeah there you go so, but but listen we, we, we've we been here nine weeks and um, I retired a bit later um, and, and I, I've got a message for all the people out there that are hanging on don't don't hang on to your job do what you can to relax Retire, retire as soon as you can because you don't have a lot of time. Are you talking to me, Ray? Is that a message to me? Yeah, yeah, it? yeah. I, <laughs> I probably have. But listen, listen. I got to say that it's shows like yours. You talk about the media. The media turnover. The ABC News. It's a different person every time. The people like you that hang on and do a good job. You and Lee and your, your team. You, we really are proud of what you give to Australia. And I think every Australian should stand up and applaud you. Uh, Have you been Australia of the Year yet? You should be Australian. No, yeah, no, that'll be next week, next year. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Ray, Ray you, you said you trained triathletes. Were you a, a bit of a, a goer, were you, in your day? Uh, yeah, I did I did three Ironmans. Um, wow. Uh, What's your last name, Ray? Scarlett, S-C-A-A-L-E-D-D. Scarlett, yeah. Yeah. And and so you did three triathlons or three? No, I did three. Yeah, I did. I did about eighteen years of uh, triathlon. Yeah. Um, but then I coached as well towards the end. And are you um, are you still fit now as uh, an older bloke? Oh yeah, yeah, still fairly fit. Um, I'm on a bit of medication for things as you get older, a bit of blood pressure and that sort of thing. Um, but uh, yeah, I still try to get out there. Um, I, I while we've been down here, I brought my mountain bike. Some of the mountain bike rides down uh, tracks down here are just amazing. And mm. uh, look, I really wish the rest of Australia, the national parks, all those people would come down here and see how the national parks put walkways through the pristine forest and bushes. Mountain bike tracks that are maintained and people don't go off them and don't wreck the rest of the forest. Mm. Uh, it, it's just they do such a good job down here, Mac. It's, it's amazing. Um, I'll have to get back down there. We were, we were down there last year in Lonnie, around Lonnie, but uh, we'll have to get back down. Ray, uh, we'll have to keep in touch, mate, and um, it's nice to talk to you. Thanks for your kind words, and um, yeah. we'll, uh, where, where's home for you? Yeah, uh, Harvey Bay in, uh, in Queensland. All right. Well, when will you be so back there next? Well, we're heading, uh, we, we get back to the mainland on the 9th. Uh, some rallies to see in Victoria, probably middle of February we get back up there. But take your time, mate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good on you, Ray. Got to fly. Right, right, take care. See, See you, mate. mate. Bye. Pete's in Corowa. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Macca. Um, Macca, I just wanted to say how much um, we appreciate you highlighting the uh, the dangers of drowning in the river. I've been a um, volunteer diver for the New South Wales Rescue Association for 40 years and unfortunately been a part of many recoveries in our beautiful Murray River. And uh, oh, I suppose the overriding thing, Macca, is that um, 
people think it'll never happen to them and and uh, I know time's short but the um, the biggest contributor I've found over the years is is people panic and I was interested yep. to hear earlier someone talking about floating in the river floating because it's it's so important when you when you're doing this diving recovery and you see the look of grief on people's faces when they they just can't believe it's their son daughter brother etc that's drowned and so many of them avoidable and our beautiful Murray River is unfortunately one of the um, places of most danger if you like uh, for drowning statistics and yeah. and I'm just pleased I'm pleased you bring it up I'm pleased I've been involved doing this job and do a bit of work with Royal Life Saving trying to get the preventive message across you talked about schools I, I locally in Coro I do go around the local schools and I take me scuba gear and uh, have a little PowerPoint presentation and highlight the main dangers. But panic is the one the one thing that I believe contributes to more drownings than yeah, alcohol. And, and, and the other, the, but the thing that goes, when you panic, everything goes out yep. the window. That's the trouble. You know, I, I, I mentioned my mate Steve. He's a good yep. swimmer, very good swimmer, but he's out there and he gets caught in a rip. And, 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 and he panics and, 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 and he starts to try and swim and, and he got rescued, but by gee, by the skin of his teeth. It's the same in the river, Macca. People, yeah. you know, when your head's about, your eyeball's about four inches above the waterline and you realise how strong the current is, people think they've got to swim to the bank. They just need to focus on roll keeping over. their head up. Roll over. Roll over. Yeah, you'll come it? to a snag. The river doesn't run dead straight and you'll find something to hang on to. But good, good on, on you. you for highlighting because it's a dangerous time of year. Thanks, Th- Macca. Thanks, Pete. Bye. Good on you, mate. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.